This is Thinking Freely with the ACLU of Maryland, the show where we talk about what's happening politically in Maryland from the courts to the streets. I'm your host, Amber Taylor. America likes to say that we are a country of immigrants, but we are also a country that has historically targeted and discriminated against immigrants, especially immigrants of color. A program that has gotten a lot of attention recently is the 287G program. This program is where ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, enters into agreements with state and local law enforcement in order to deputize local police as federal immigration agents, to use local resources in doing ICE's work, where local law enforcement has little training and complete liability if anything goes wrong. Today we are joined by Flora Guerrero of the RISE Coalition of Western Maryland and Sergio Espana, the Director of Engagement and Mobilization for the ACLU of Maryland, to talk about the 287G program and its impact on Maryland. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for having us. So Sergio, what is the role of local law enforcement? Well, ideally the role of local law enforcement is to respect and follow the local laws. It's to ensure that they're partnering with community to provide a sense of public safety and that they're doing it in a way that's constitutional. And how is local law enforcement different from ICE, otherwise known as the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency? So uh, going back to my first point, fundamentally, it's about them focusing on enforcing local and state laws and enforcing their actual responsibilities. ICE is a federal agency which has its own mandate, has its own funding, and has a much broader reach that many times can actually go against uh, what the laws at a local or state level are. And what is the 287G program? So the 287G program has been in place really since the Clinton administration. Um, and it's changed a little bit, uh, or at least the way in which it's enforced has changed dramatically, frankly, um, over the last several years. So the aim of the program is to deputize local law enforcement to serve as um, additional resources and um, branches of federal law enforcement. So they partner up with local police departments, usually with sheriff's departments, to train them to some extent to serve as federal officers so that they can, when they stop someone or when they, frankly, just interact with anyone in their community, if they're if they go through this program, they're technically empowered to also be able to ask them what country are they from? Where's their passport from? Based off of how they answer those questions, they can actively start um, connecting them or actively try to connect them with ICE to start deportation process. And how it's been enforced in years past, it's always been deeply problematic, uh, but how it's been enforced in years past was with an explicit focus on people with existing criminal records, particularly folks with violent criminal records. In Maryland, which has had a nice partnership since 2008 in three counties, then uh, Anne Arundel County backed out of it um, after uh, public pressure and the recognition of morality. And then Cecil County, picked it up just uh, at the beginning of 2019. So we're back to three counties that have it. So it's Cecil County, Harford County, and Frederick County. Frederick County has had this program in practice since 2008. Since that time, over 1,700 Marylanders have been deported by as a direct result of the program. Uh, and it's important to stress that the overwhelming majority of those Marylanders who've been deported have had no criminal record besides their immigration status and 
potentially having a broken taillight. And that's been enough. And so we have seen and heard and experienced um, several cases of this, uh, uh, of th what this looks like in practice, uh, which has been frankly devastating, unquestionably to the families, unquestionably to the directly impacted communities, but also to a sense of community uh, within the counties that implement it. it the, the point of it, frankly, it's not about immigration enforcement. It's not about increasing public safety. It's about scapegoating. It's about pretending that spending an um, exorbitant amount of resources, both at a local and federal level, is useful towards uh, public safety when it's directed mostly based off of a, a racial and immigration frame as opposed to one that's data-informed and focused on public safety. And Floor, um, you live in Frederick. Um, can you tell me what the program's impact has been, um, particularly for the Frederick community and especially communities of color? Yeah, um, like as Sergio was was mentioning, that means more deportations in our communities of color. It will be, um, ICE will be now outsourcing their labor to local um, police to enforce immigration laws. It also means more racial profiling. Um, we have seen that it's actually incentivizes racial profiling in our communities by allowing police, um, in this case, uh, the officers that have been deputized in Frederick County are the sheriff of, the sheriff deputies. And so it basically gives them an, a motivation to pick up people that are foreign looking or even Latinos or like from the Latinx community um, because they know it could potentially lead into an arrest and in a, in a deportation. So um, we also seen a lot of distrust in the community of local police and even the sheriffs. Um, there's a lot of fear. Um, people are afraid to like report crimes. Many of them are not are willing to even get out of their houses. So when they see a police pass by their house or like even within their like um, neighborhoods, they decide to just like stay in and not go out. So there's a lot of fear. So what does it mean to you to have the Frederick um, County have like this 287 program? So. The 287G program, if you look it up on the website or on ICE, it says that it's to promote security and safety in our communities of the public. It doesn't feel like it is. A lot of us don't feel safe. A lot of us feel like we don't belong into into Frederick County because of like our immigrant backgrounds. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't feel like Frederick County on in a 287G jurisdiction is actually protecting any of us, people of color, any of us immigrants. Sheriff Jenkins was the one to bring in the 287 program into Frederick. He is the has been sheriff in Frederick County for um, over a decade. Um, can you you know tell me how the community has perceived uh, Sheriff Jenkins, particularly after you know him being like the, this is being his flagship, like being very proud to have this program? Well, particularly undocumented community fear Sheriff Jenkins. You know um, they don't feel necessarily safe to be in, even nearby any of his like um, office or facilities just because of the potential retaliation. On one, it's part part of it is because of his like messaging to the entire um, Frederick County community that um, essentially correlating immig immigrants with criminalizing immigrants, right? And so um, this is the message that he has been sending around for over 10 years. And it's actually the reflection of the national uh, messaging that we're also getting from this administration. So it's really empowering a lot of um, officers to commit unethical violations and, and constitutional violations of our rights around immigrants and criminality and how this program is supposed to um, 
reduce that in our city and forgive us and protect us, but it's really it's really not. So I keep emphasizing fear, right? A lot of them are afraid to do the basic things, right? Like even if it's part of a meeting, an organizing meeting, that some of the things that we're doing in our community to um, help, um, you know, move around and like uh, mobilize them against this program. So one of them is a lot of them afraid to come out and speak and say. This is um, this is an issue that concerns me because they they basically have the entire life on the lines. Like by saying I stand against this issue, um, it could also have consequences for their family. So when they're afraid to like again the constitutional violations that police officers are engaging, like um, and it's just it's happening by the sheriff's office, but also by some of the local police as well. Um, we're seeing a lot of um, traffic um, stops. Many are unjustified, and they're just detaining people. Just because that you know they have a broken tail light, um, and also in the and just in the regular streets, we've seen cases of individuals where they've just been stopped by police and asked about their immigration status. And Sergio, the ACLU um, actually has a, a case uh, that we are working on um, around uh, racial profiling related to the 287G program. Can you talk about that case? Sure. So sadly, it's a uh, uh, very similar in cases that have come out before or in situations that have been raised since the program was implemented in 2008. Take, for example, the case of Roxana Santos, who's now currently um, being um, in the process of being settled, where she was stopped. Uh, she wasn't. She was eating a sandwich on her lunch break and was racially profiled. And they try to, you know, point out that she was undocumented and used that, and but there was no justification for the stop. It was a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. Um, and so she won that case. The federal court found that to be unconstitutional because it was so obvious. Um, but sadly, those practices still continue. And so within the year, um, there's the incident with Sarah Madrano, where she was driving home uh, in Frederick, was pulled over for broken taillight, um, and then they used that as an excuse to ask her about her immigration status, which also completely contradicts what the sheriff says at his annual steering committee meetings, which he's now canceled because he's afraid of public input, um, where he says that they only ask questions after they're detained. This is an, ex an example, one of several that we've heard, where sheriff's officers are asking immigration status while they're doing stops for incidents that have nothing to do with their immigration status. At any rate, they, you know, get a sense that she might be undocumented. And so they make her wait in her car for an hour while they try to get ICE to come pick her up. Um, ICE was not able to respond in time. Um, and so they, they let her go. And she was very much aware of what was going on, and she knew her rights. And so she reached out to the ACLU um, and, you know, and been involved with the community. And we very much look forward to pointing out the obvious. And even in that case, like, um, you know, she went home and then she and I think her daughter, like, they checked um, their car because she got pulled over for a broken taillight. And... You know, they were they saw that the you know taillight was working fine. So, another I think it's just another example of how they're using racial profiling to you know execute ICE's bidding. Yes, and I, I I think even more fundamentally than executing ICE's bidding, it's executing um, some pretty dark thoughts in our country. You know, like trying to follow through on something that's dying out uh, in a desperate attempt to support white supremacy, you know, in a, in a, in a desperate attempt to think that if we were to um, act like the laws only apply 
to or the or constitution only applies to some of us, not to all of us in our country. Um, but that allows us to protect the institutions of white supremacy. Then it's worth doing it. Um, and frankly, it, it doesn't matter if that's their intent, whether they admit it to themselves or not. It's still unconstitutional, along with being deeply immoral. And uh, Floor, like um, I know that you are part of the Rise Coalition of Western Maryland. Um, and can you actually can you tell me a bit about um, what Rise does and like why you guys um, decided to form? Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah, so the Rise Coalition was formed about a year ago in January of 2018. Uh, we were seeing the desperate need of actually um, building power, um, and we wanted to build that power around the immigrant community, the impact of the communities, and utilize the resources that we sort of have in Frederick, but also still lacking, um, use that those resources and mediums to bring um, uh, actually more um, means for the immigrant community to uh, be able to one, educate them about the rights, um, also provide them with legal clinics and information about what they can do to actually change the situation we're currently living in Frederick. And so that's um, off my head, like one of the big um, purposes of the Rise Coalition. Um, and so, yeah, so we, all of us got together and wanted to use RISE as a, a medium, uh, as a platform for community members to um, speak up for the rights, to educate themselves, and to change Frederick. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you guys are definitely showing, you know, force like good power. I know that you've, you know, historically gone to, you know, the different steering committees that have happened in response to the 287G program that Sheriff Jenkins has held. And this, you know, year he decided to just not have a meeting. And can both of you just like respond to like, why is it so important to have open meetings, particularly around programs um, and for programs like the 287G program? Uh, I mean, along with just the fundamentals of transparency and open government being essential to ensure that the public knows uh, not just what's going on, but how to um, make decisions to improve um, or to continue steady. It, fundamentally, with this program and how it's implemented so far, as we're seeing that um, the sheriff's office will say one thing and the public is very much aware of another. So, you know, the the... Sheriff Jenkins, the sheriff's department has been uh, have their talking points in order, um, you know, talking about issues like, for example, saying that they do not ask for people what people's immigration status is until they're arrested or once they're in, the, in detention. And that's simply not true. Um, we have several examples of this that are still ongoing of um, sheriff's officers asking people for their what their immigration status is before they're detained. Um, we also need to provide a space for the community to have their voice heard you know directly by the person or the department really uh, or the institutions that are trying to undermine their voice so much of the 287g program is it's clearly not about um, improving public safety it's about racial scapegoating and also about providing this you know, basically providing a sense to um, that some people's voices should be heard and others people's voices need to be silenced or kept in check. And fundamentally, that's that's that goes against American principles. Right. So one aspect was touched by Sergio and the other part is transparency. I feel like public um, meetings um, are the is the opportunity for the for the community and for the residents to actually 
ask the, the the city council, ask the sheriff's office to tell us like how are you, what are your practices when implementing this program, right? And to for many many years, and we've been asking. Actually, that was the focus of. Um, our messaging at the last 287G steering annual meeting was to ask them how much is costing the city, right, to run this program. Like, and so we still haven't gotten responses or answers from the sheriff's office clear that can state to that can tell us how much is costing um, the program to the city. We all we know is that based of the uh, the agreement with ICE, it states that the Frederick County Sheriff's Office do fund all the staff hours that are allocated for performing as performance duties and salaries and anything that's like related with the enforcement of this program. So there is money that's being spent by the city, um, tax money that all the residents of Frederick County are paying. And we need to know how much it's really costing all of us. And I think that's like another point for, to have in public um, meeting is for us to really hear back and from our our office our officials elected officials right to tell us like how are they using our funding to pay for these programs that are supposed to supposedly like protect our community supposedly make us safer which in reality we're not and one other point that Sergio did make is that like he uh, the sheriff Jenkins repeatedly denied that this um race profiling cases that all of this like police violations of these programs aren't happening. And we had people speak and give testimony at the hearings and say, this is the case, this, and he just completely disregarded it. And, just, and his tone and his demeanor has just made it even more difficult for community members to actually like be able to freely feel that they can speak up on the issue. And so um, it, it, it kind of displays the type of shares we have at those public um, meetings, so it, it, it tells the public and everyone because there's also media present in there to really show the face of the sheriff right of this county and so it's very important to have those meetings and also I wonder just what degree uh, or what made him want to cancel this meeting um, given that we're seeing a lot of Frederick County residents and community members more aware about the program and so um, a lot of us have something to say a lot of us have something to share at this public meeting and it's really disappointing that he canceled it but not surprised pricing given his track record in the community and the, their policing practices. And actually, I know that, like, regardless of what, you know, Sheriff Jenkins decides to do, like, you're ho hoping to, you know, do some type of actions, um, just also, like, you know, educating people about the program and, you know, building power in Frederick, Maryland. Can you talk to me about that? Things that have, have been done uh, as, of, as of right now, um, one is educating the community, that's number one, right? Letting people know. A lot of people know about the consequences of the effects of 287G. We know at least somebody that's been affected, right? So one is like putting a name to that, so it's educating the community. Other things that have been done is like trying to um, have um, private meetings with some of the city council members to share like stories of community members that have been impacted by it. Also, there has been town halls um, with the general public about 287G program. Um, we've done some rallies and protests um, outside of the detention center, outside of the city council office, um, just to bring attention to this issue. And all other rights members have written uh, articles on the, on the Frederick News Post and even the Washington Post as well, talking about 287G and what, what, what does it mean for us to live in, in, a, in a county with that program. Actually, what what can people do? Like, what are like some more? It's like some other than like uh, attending the event. What are some tangible things that people can do to learn about the program, to also to oppose it, and you know, hopefully bring this to an end. How the program works is it, 
even if you, once it's renewed, you can get out of the program at any point. The, it, it could very well be that the sheriff's uh, department has uh, uh, some sense of enlightenment at some point and realizes the program is financially needlessly um, taking uh, financial burdens from other pro- programs that could actually increase public safety or that it's um, they're aware of the in- incredible harm that they're doing within the immigrant community and to the perception of Frederick County in our state uh, and want to make sure that this is a county that's effective uh, for everyone. Um, and if they reach that, they can get rid of the program the next day. Uh, you know, the, the way in which it's structured is that um, any party, so whether it's the federal government or the sheriff's department, can exit the program um, whenever they, they deem it appropriate. With that said, we understand that for that to happen, um, we need the right, we unquestionably need leadership that has that type of analysis. Currently, that's, that's not the case. Uh, in, you know, at, in Anne Arundel County, they, they, it, it, the program was signed between the county executive and um, um, the federal government. And there was an election. Folks in Anne Arundel County were sick of this program, of how they were perceived. And so they got a new county executive. And the first thing he did, like literally his first day in office, was cancel the program. Um, you know, so there, there, so there is an, an, elector, an, an electoral approach to it. Um, there's also a, a county council approach to this, uh, where frankly, um, we've, there, there, there have been strong supporters within the county council, not a majority yet, um, but frankly, we feel that they have a responsibility to uh, follow through on ensuring that all Frederick residents feel uh, included um, and have their rights uh, protected. So one thing that we can all do, uh, well, definitely Frederick residents, is call your county council members, see what district you're in, Give you know, give them a call, give them an email, go to county council meetings, um, and to make sure that this issue is discussed. Uh, and then, along with that, it's it's about talking about this issue really with whomever, because so much of, the, of what's allowed this program to to continue, it has been not that there's a uh, overwhelming support for it, but that there's overwhelming uh, a misunderstanding that the program even exists. You know, and so the need to share this with your family, to share this with your coworkers, to talk about what does this mean for us? Are, are is this really the kind of county we are? I thought we were better than this. You know, like what you know, just literally, just that that public discourse makes a difference as well. Um, then, along with that, the Rise Coalition um, partners with several local groups that directly take this on. So whether it's um, Safe Haven Frederick, uh, where they have hotlines uh, to support uh, people who are dealing with um, potential deportation to to provide them with uh, both immediate and broader legal support or Sanctuary DMV. That's a network that helps folks that are going through immigration processes to make sure that they uh, have accompaniment, that they have the support, um, that they have their questions answered. We have several local lawyers that have been uh, very helpful uh, in providing additional information and guidance where needed. Um, and then also, if folks are encouraged, we definitely, um, you know, we, we've seen uh, the power of the grassroots movement that's grown in Frederick, and we definitely encourage folks to reach out to the RISE Coalition, you know, whether it's just checking them out on Facebook um, or checking out the website and just saying you want to plug in. And there's, we have a whole bunch of uh, members in the coalition that are eager to figure out uh, how to work with you all. So, Flora, you know, what, you know, what are some things that um, um, people across the state of Maryland and also in Frederick County can do to support? 
Right. I also want to emphasize that Frederick County, the community, immigrant community in Frederick County, lacks a lot of resources, and one of them is legal services. And so I feel like if you're an attorney, if you're looking for pro bono opportunities that you want to pick up a case, definitely connect with Rice Coalition. We need those attorneys. <laughs> we need anyone in the legal profession that's willing to support this community because part of the 287G is also the consequences that is had in the community. And it's like we have a lot of community in need of immigration attorneys, like transparent immigration attorneys that have the, the community um, in mind and in their hearts. And so I wanted to just make a call to anyone who's out there who, um, to plug with the Rice Coalition. We really need your support. We need your skills, your resources, and your ideas on how we can end this. And along with getting involved at a local level through a variety of ways that we've been discussing, it's also important to recognize that this is obviously a fight at the federal level, um, but considering the impasse that's in Congress, uh, really a priority is also to take the fight at a state level. So for a few years now, there's been a wide coalition of immigrants and allies and people directly impacted from across the state that have been working on efforts to prevent or at a state level uh, prohibit these types of partnerships. So in particular, there have been folks who've been uh, pushing for something called the Trust Act so that local law enforcement cannot use their resources in a way that would directly support federal law enforcement uh, implementation. Not at all to say that the federal law enforcement can't do it, but we all pay taxes. We know they got the, the money to do it on their own. Um, yeah, so definitely encourage folks to, to be tracking that. If you, if, you have, if you want to reach out to your local delegate or your state senator to tell them that you support the Trust Act, that you support uh, a pro-immigrant stance, a, a pro-constitutional stance for all of Maryland, then by all means, we strongly encourage you to reach out to them as well. Yeah, if you want to stay in touch with the Rice Coalition of Western Maryland, you can find us on Facebook, um, Rice Coalition of Western Maryland, or you can email us at ricecoalitionmd at gmail.com. Thank you both for um, being here today. You know, we really appreciate you know you talking with us about this program, and you know hopefully you know very soon we can um, cut back and eventually end the 287D programs in the state of Maryland. We have no choice. Thank you. Thank you, Amber. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope that you will join us next month for more discussions on what's happening politically in Maryland, from the courts to the streets. To learn more about our work, visit our website at www.aclu-md.org. If you like this first episode of Thinking Freely, please be sure to rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Amber Taylor. We'll see you next time.